This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. I'm Scott Lewis, the Editor-in-Chief of Voice of San Diego, and... I am Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance. <laughs> uh, Laura, I had a I had a success recently. All right, let's hear it. You know, uh, I got... We, we had another round. We decided to try again to get into high-tech high, not because we're disappointed necessarily in the school, but just because we're getting seduced by all this... Propaganda, but uh, including our own podcast yeah, propaganda. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I'm I'm starting to find some wins. Okay, let's hear them. So uh, our school, Ocean Beach Elementary, for my son, it, for seventy years or something like this, they've been doing this hat parade, like this crazy hat parade thing. So it's like they they all decorate their hats and right. and the kindergarten classes like do this parade and uh, cuteness factor. Yeah, and and also like the kids spend time doing up their their own particular hat, and my kid did not want to do this at all, <laughs> and uh, he was just so the day came when he was supposed to turn it in, and there, that was a uh, you know brilliantly the teachers decided that should be a few days in advance, <laughs> uh, and so there you know that day happened and he just wasn't into it, and I would, you know there's only so much I can force him to do that. You know, obviously yes. I could whip him into it or whatever, but I didn't want to do that on something that's supposed to be like creative and fun. That, uh-huh. that doesn't seem to work. Yeah. So no whipping. Right. So that, the, that day didn't happen. And then the day before the, well, actually the day before the day before the actual parade, right. Mm-hmm. I'm working with him. I'm talking with him. I'm trying to convince him to do it. And he's just not. And then finally he, I said, well, why, what's going on? And he's like, I, I'm just, I'm afraid that this one kid in particular will make fun of it. And, ah. and I was like, well, something clicked in my brain. I'm just like, look, if you had another reason, maybe you were like straight out of this most likely to succeed movie or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't, you know, trigger my interest in learning or, you know, it's some sort of like actual objection to the project. Yeah. Maybe I would like, you know, okay, whatever, let's, you can sit out or but but something trick you know just triggered in my head, and I was like, "You got to do it. I'm sorry, you have to do it." Yeah. And we we had this like breakdown. It was bad, uh, and I had to get to that point where I'm like, "You're gonna have to take away privileges and stuff like that." And finally, he relents, and and he's like, "Well, I don't want to do the you know flowers or the streamers or whatever." And I'm like, "That's fine. What do you want to what?" And he said, "What if we did Legos?" And so we ended up, ding, 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 ding. yeah, so he ends up doing this hat. It was awesome of like this whole underwater like story of this like diver and this shark and this like uh, underwater bars, he called it. And this, and all the, and this octopus, all these, and my wife, the, she was brilliant. She sewed them on to the, to this baseball hat and he goes to school the next day and he was apparently like presenting in front of the whole class, telling the whole story and he was way into it. 
And the teacher took pictures of it and texted us and said, wow, I don't know what you did, but like, so I won. I won one. Yay. Strike <laughs> one up for the parent. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, uh, whew, like that was, we didn't think it was going to happen. And, and, you know, like, again, it was just that, that fear. I couldn't, I couldn't take that because I feel like there's a lot of things I did as a kid or didn't do as a kid out of fear, you know, like, and I wish that at those moments, my parents would have pushed me through that. You know, it's not, it, it can be a lot like maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a rebel or whatever. Don't do some things, but yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to convey to kids that when you, um, don't do things out of fear of those bullying kids, then you're actually empowering them. Yeah. Um, and that's too complicated a concept to say directly to a kindergartner, but may, you know, maybe he absorbed a little bit of that, um, through this experience. You'll, you'll have to come back to it. Yeah. Well, and kudos to Miss Stewart too, for also like conveying to me how important the hat parade was. Cause I was, cause it turned out to be a project that we did together, you know, like it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, yeah. And plus, uh, creativity and it tapped into your son's own passions yeah. and, um, and what was going to inspire him. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of that, yeah. uh, in town, in San Diego this week, the week of, uh, April 20th is the, what is it called? The, ASUGSV Summit. That's Arizona State University Greater Silicon Valley Summit. This is a big deal. It is a gathering of 3,500 mainly education technology entrepreneurs and the funders who are considering investing in them. And then they've pulled in a few, a sort of a smattering of um, educators alongside uh, so that the users are in the room as well. Uh, <laughs> But nice of them. Yeah, right. But it's pretty exciting. The roster of speakers is astounding. It's Bill Gates, Condoleezza Rice, Saul Khan. I mean, um, it pulls down huge names, and they're all descending on San Diego when, as we, we speak. And we grabbed one that was descending. We, we netted him. Uh, Tom Vanderark, the former head of the Gates Foundation. You used to work with him, right? I did. He was my, my boss. And he is now the CEO of Getting Smart, the company that is doing some of this adaptive learning. He came into the podcast studio and we have a conversation with him about um, not only ed tech and technology and education, but uh, you know how it's kind of disrupting the traditional notions we have about things like grades, uh, like not just grades, like ABC, like grades. Uh, grade like levels. Grade levels, one, two. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, the frontier of education technology, um, it's changed, it's it's just changing so rapidly. Tom and I worked uh, a little bit on the initial ideas about online learning back in, in the uh, early 2000s, and since then, it just climbed steadily but slowly until until recently, and now, as you go out to schools and districts, they'll tell you that it's coming on super fast. And I got a little taste of that on the on the radio this morning on NPR. They did a piece about the demise of the locker, the school locker in yeah. high schools and middle schools across the country. The reason that dis, that um, schools are getting rid of lockers around the country, you, your first thought is probably that they don't want places for kids to stash drugs that and was weapons. My first yeah, 
And that's, I think that's part of the motivation. But the main part of the, the reasoning is that kids don't have to lug around big textbooks anymore because um, a lot of the of what they're studying, they're accessing through the internet. And so it's making the lockers obsolete and, um, and students appreciate it too because they don't have to plot. Remember how you used to plot your route through high school by like, how am I going to hit my locker between this yeah, class and that Yeah, I was never that organized. Oh, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I was always late. No, I remember I was just about five or six years ago, I was touring uh, Claremont High School and it was the day that they had, I guess there's this law in California that they uh, they have to come and check that everybody has the school textbooks that are required as, a, as an idea of like civil rights and equality. Basically, like you have to prove that every student has all the books they're supposedly needing. And this principal who was doing this tour with me, she was talking about how, well, how terrible that was because the... Uh, the kids were calling, their parents were calling in and complaining because they couldn't carry them all in their backpack, that their backs were hurting or whatever, because it was, it had become so many books. And I was just, I was going crazy listening to her, like, why are we still doing that? And that was like <laughs> six years ago, now even more. So just a fact on this. Now even less, luckily. Right, right. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Just a, a fact on this. So we've done a lot of reporting at Voice San Diego about the San Diego Unified School District and its own investments in technology. This most recent tax increase in bond that was done for the San Diego Unified School District, which covers most of the city of San Diego, though not all, it increased property taxes. It was mainly sold as a way to, uh, to you know, refurbish schools and such, but it did have a technology element. And there was some problems with that because in the, in the years before that, they had, they had actually financed some of these technology purchases using long-term bonds. So they were buying an iPad and paying it off for, you know, decades after that, which mm-hmm. didn't seem to make sense. Well, they changed that. Uh, and so kudos to the district for changing that practice. And so what was becoming a $4,000 total uh, iPad was suddenly now only uh, 400 or 700. So, um, Good. and now they, uh, last year, they reported having a purchase with these bond funds, 87,000 personal tech devices uh, using $43 million dollars. Uh, and so that was wow. actually, iPads were actually only the, a very small part of that. Right. Um, it turned out to be mostly laptops, Lenovo uh, laptops and Android devices, uh, 32,000 Android devices. So the these there's 100,000 students in the traditional San Diego Unified Schools, 110 or 15. And so 87,000 personal tech devices were almost to that sort of one-to-one ratio uh, with those. And so things are, yeah, these are getting in schools now. Uh, that's pretty, yeah. And that's pretty common around San Diego County. We do have, I don't uh, know the precise number, but a number of our districts have committed to be future ready, which is a national um, movement that the White House is helping to sponsor and promote that says we're a district that is committed to one, not just one-to-one devices, but integrating and using um, technology to um, to innovate in our schools. And so uh, I know that Grossmont, Union High School District went out to the White House recently to be part of a Future Ready Symposium. Um, And I know that we've got a number of districts who are really on the innovative front of this. And University of San Diego has a mobile technology learning center that is um, helping to support and provide uh, professional development around this work in places around the county and around the nation. So they've been a a really important driver of the changes here in our community. And I think for like San Diego Unified in particular, it's going to be on, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be important for them to to really describe how this has changed, 
you know, students' lives. They can't just say, look, there's a laptop now because uh, I think they're probably going to have to ramp up to do a bond because another uh, tax increase in bond because this, the exact, you know, structure and the, and the upkeep of the buildings that they said they were refurbishing is actually getting worse. So they're going to have to make the case that this other investment, this separate investment in technology was worth prioritizing in some ways above that because of, of the transformation supposedly in learning. So that's uh, going to be something to watch going forward. Now you had a number of the week about this, right? The number of the week is 4%. 4% is the proportion of private capital that we anticipate within a decade is going to be invested behind all this education technology that's coming on. So it is about transforming learning. It is about teaching and learning, but it's also about a big private sector infusion of cash in yeah. our public education. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, I like the Defense Department. I mean, the some of these technologies and stuff, they, they're hoping to, to be innovated and, and created by private companies with their own um, desires. That's where it's coming from. And just as a baseline right now, this year, it's 0.4% of capital markets are going into education technology. So a tenfold increase over the next nine to 10 years. Hmm. And what's working? I want to celebrate TEDx of El Cajon Valley. The El Cajon Valley School District has embraced this format of TED Talks to help inspire kids to find what's unique and special about them and present it out to their community. So this past Saturday uh, on the 16th, they had their annual TEDx event and they had kids from all ages. They they had kindergartners up through high schoolers presenting really inspiring um, talks about what's important to them or, them or what they've learned now, or what really, they've created. They I unfortunately didn't get oh. to witness it, but um, the superintendent um, told us about some of them and they sounded amazing. And they also also do a maker fair along with it and an innovation fair. Um, they have music that's coming along. So it creates this big, creative, student-centered uh, event. And so I love that they've embraced this TED Talk concept and, and helped to uh, use it for student inspiration. All right. Well, like I said, we did uh, nab Tom Vanderark on his way to that big conference in, in San Diego. And here that is. Well, we're really excited to have Tom Vanderark in the studio. He's in town for a big GSU, uh, GSVASU summit. Uh, 3,500 people, I believe, are descending on San Diego as we record this podcast. Yeah, San Diego just got a little smarter, right? Uh, we are. We are getting smarter. I can, I can feel the vibes, the smart vibes. <laughs> and it's right here in this room because Tom is the CEO of uh, Getting Smart an organization that helps to promote, spread intelligence, and help the um, overall education technology landscape to grow and uh, grow in ways that are going to be supportive of kids. Tom and I worked together uh, a while back <laughs> in 2002 to 2004 at the Gates Foundation when he was the founding director of the education work at the foundation. So tell us, what does uh, Getting Smart do? We um, are interested in innovations and learning. You know, we, we think that is uh, the most important thing going on on the planet, the fact that it's much easier to learn anything anywhere. Uh, that, that revolution started 20 years ago, but we're finally beginning to understand how to incorporate all these new tools into schools, both K-12 and higher ed. So we're, we, we look for 
uh, and and try to promote the really promising innovations that can help kids get smarter faster and also uh, promote equity, both in this country and worldwide. Give us an example of what, what, what one of those innovations might be. What is a, a student's life like with it? One simple but very important thing that's happened in the last 10 years is adaptive learning. So it's like game technology where a tool will quickly, with a couple of questions, understand what a student's reading level or math level is, and then automatically make the next question harder or easier. And, and as a result, customize their own learning pathway. That's often combined with gamification. So it's engaging graphics and um, and this calibration that's done that makes the game just hard enough but not too hard. So that sort of adaptive learning is now very, very commonplace in American elementary schools, and it results in personalized learning for students and uh, great real-time data for teachers. So if a parent is visiting a school, an elementary school, middle school, high school, where would they uh, where would they see that adaptive learning happening? What would they see in the classroom that is where it's um, occurring? So 10 years ago, this started in um, computer labs. So you would send yeah. a whole group of kids down to the, the computer lab and they would play a math game and then they would come back to their classroom. As computers got cheaper and smaller, lighter, it became much more common for this to happen within the classroom. And so for, for many generations, teachers have had centers in their classroom, you know, different activity sets. And now those activity sets, many of them uh, have technology. So a, a class rotation model where kids rotate through an adaptive learning session and then small group tutoring with their teacher is, is very, very common. You would see it in, I would say, most elementary schools here in San Diego. And that adaptive technology is also showing up in the testing. So the smarter balance tests that California kids take also are adaptive. It's at least partially adaptive. Uh, oh. We're still really fixated on grade level proficiency. So the tests are partially adaptive where they, they still are designed to give you this really accurate read of grade level proficiency. Unfortunately, what we, we ought to be getting better at measuring is growth. How are kids learning a year's worth of material for the year that they're in school. And we're still not as good at that as, as we should. But yeah, adaptive is showing up everywhere. It, it's really, it's a, an interesting application of artificial intelligence, which is becoming um, an important part of everything that we do. The, the Google Maps that got me here to the, uh, to the studio, um, it, it's behind Amazon. It's how I, I, I choose books. Uh, it's on Netflix, how I choose movies. And so artificial intelligence is, is becoming an important um, but often invisible part of our lives. Well, that, that's also true uh, in education, that intelligent use of data is now a, a, a new foundation of, of every learning institution. It occurs to me that what you're, what you're, you just mentioned, the, that we're stuck on the grade levels it occurs to me what you're talking about is ideally perhaps a complete disruption of grade levels because, you know, I can, I can looking at even my own personal experience, I can see my son being maybe a couple of grade levels up on some things and like really far behind on a couple of other things. Should, should we just consider each student individually? Is that what you're driving toward? That is one of the big meta trends in learning. Uh, and it's not just K-12, it's, it's also higher education and job training, but 
we now have the ability to create customized learning pathways for every student where every student can have their, their own unique learning trajectory. And, and that means in some cases they're moving faster than some kids and slower than other kids. It, it'll be a while before we invent elementary schools that do this really, really well. But I was in four schools in Denver uh, on, on Friday, four secondary schools that are getting better at this. And I followed some kids around and saw dynamic scheduling taking place where on in some classes they were in a performance group. So it was five kids that are right at the same mm -hmm. learning level where they could work with a teacher and get a lesson at that level. Then they would move to a, a project team. And they, they, those are kids at different levels, but working on an interesting and challenging subject. Then they would move to another subject where there was a heterogeneous group where they were reading. Um, it was a literature circle. And so I think you'll start to see combinations that are very interesting where there are sometimes uh, kids at the same grade level, but sometimes heterogeneous groupings. And uh, schools like High Tech High here in San Diego, I think, are, are, are good at mixing uh, those different kinds of groups. And it's hard to do that. This dynamic scheduling means every kid has a different schedule. So you do need mm -hmm. more sophisticated scheduling software. Um, but, but we are getting better at environments that work well for every student. Well, locally, the uh, Thrive Public School is, is launched with that premise right there. They're trying to track every student and, and create a, right. a special plan for each one. I'll be there in the morning. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, we got to get Nicole in here at some point. So, so Tom, uh, I, what you've just described is that's really exciting, but it's clearly not anywhere close to the norm. That's just the, the cutting edge, the bleeding edge. But on the other hand, I do feel like we've hit a really important tipping point with the integration of technology, not just as an add-on or a layer, but but as a way that teaching and learning is really changing. I'm seeing that just sort of on the ground, talking to superintendents and teachers, but can you help, um, help folks understand if I'm right, and if so, what's caused that? So you might remember that when I was a public school superintendent in Washington, my district was one-to-one -one in 1995, mm -hmm. and it was, it was really hard when laptops were huge and expensive, What's caused the tipping point that you described is Chromebooks. When they became $200, it made it much, much easier for school districts to put a, a web appliance in every student's hand. When you combine that with open content, the fact that you can get really, really good content uh, instead of textbooks on a digital device, it's now cheaper to give a student a laptop with open content than it is to buy a, a pile of textbooks. So when the economics changed, that's when we really saw the, the tipping point. It's huge. I was uh, at a TEDx event associated with the summit yesterday and um, heard a rural Kansas superintendent talk about, I think it was about two years ago that she, she just said she declared to her district, she said it didn't seem like good leadership because she just declared it, but we're getting rid of our textbooks and we're going to go one-to-one. -one. Um, so it's happening in rural Kansas. It's happening in uh, rural Texas was on NPR this morning saying that they're yeah. doing away with, with uh, lockers because they don't need kids to store big textbooks anymore. Let me, let me add uh, the rest of the revolution. So what's exciting for kids in rural Kansas is that now, even if you're at a small 100-student high school, you should have access to every world language, at least the top six. You should have access to a big catalog 
of elective courses. So this is, in addition to blended learning, sort of combining online learning and face-to-face, -face, online learning where, with a teacher at a distance um, and, and access down to the course level where you have uh, options, at least in, at the high school level, uh, opens up a world of possibility. So you can run a very good, very small high school that allows kids to have a, a, a world of choices. That's a new world, and it's but it's not fully arrived. I, I mean, my my daughter just signed up for her freshman year the, high the school courses, here and is it's just all not evenly it, distributed. Okay, yes. all right. So what's in the way? I mean, I, we've I've heard for a couple of years now this idea of teachers is not just lecturing and teachers, but just but actually as coaches to technology. Uh, enhanced learning. What 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 is the biggest uh, challenge and obstacle in the way? There's there's two challenges. So this is um, you you can do a textbook replacement and just give a kid a laptop and continue to do things the way you've always done them. But yeah. that we we know the results of that are are not not very good. So there's there's two levels of complexity that make it um, pretty challenging right now for educators. One is these new school models that are blended, that are personalized, and that are competency-based, where kids move as they demonstrate mastery. That's a very different learning environment. The rules are different. The way teachers interact with each other and with students, that's, that's different. So it's hard for school districts to develop and implement those environments. And secondly, to match those with, with uh, information technology, devices and systems that all work together uh, that stuff is still harder uh, to to, um, to integrate than it should be. So learning environments and, and information technology are still quite challenging, and, and that's uh, the big reason that we're seeing progress is, re is relatively uneven. But a, a week ago, there was a, a national meeting here in San Diego of, of schools that, that believe in deeper learning. They want to engage kids in really, really powerful ways. And... The people that came to that meeting, by and large, are, are part of school networks, both charter networks and networks of district schools that believe in, in, the, in this, the power of deeper learning. And they share school models and technology models. Uh, so like the, the New Tech Network is a, an example. This is 200 mostly high schools around the country. Most of those are in school districts, and they share a project-based learning approach and they share a learning platform. So that's an example of one way that folks are coping with the complexity. They're, they're joining networks that help reduce the number of decisions that they have to make and, and to create a, a, a national collaborative of educators that are working in, with the same sort of mindset. I'm trying to think what, what a parent is to do because some of it, some of the slowness of adoption also has to do with generations of teachers who are some of, I, I I right. hear stories sometimes of teachers who won't even email with parents. So that's a long way from a teacher integrating technology in, in a really wise way. So new generations of, of teachers coming in are going to be one change. But what should parents, how can parents accelerate the change? We just wrote a book-length an answer to this question. It's called Smart Parents, Parenting for Powerful Learning. And our conclusion, after working with a, about 150 parents and parent educators, is that parents need to be informed. They need to get to know their kid as a learner to understand how and when they learn best. They need to be involved uh, in their 
son or daughter's learning. They need to be intentional and they, they need to think about themselves as a learner. They, that it also means showing your mm-hmm. kid that sometimes you fail when you're, when you're trying to learn. So being, being vulnerable as a, a some people learner. Do. Yeah, some people do. Mm-hmm. So informed, involved, intentional, and inspirational. You know, thinking about that Saturday morning off and how, how could you create a really powerful experience that that kid will remember for a lifetime. So we, we wrote the no book. No pressure, Scott. Yeah. We, we wrote the <laughs> book because um, on one hand, we're really excited about all the cool new learning opportunities. On the other hand, it's really complicated. You know, yeah. when I was raising my kids, you'd make one decision, where do I live so I can send my kid to the right school? Now you have to make hourly decisions about have, have they been online too long and is that a good app or a bad well, app? That's what I wanted to ask you about. So there is a movement even in places like Silicon Valley to, you know, keep kids off of, you know, devices and such or screen time or whatever. Have you guys done research on on that sort of balance, like when it should start, where it's like heavily online with a screen or heavily or when it should, you know, not be doing that? So with all the research that we've looked at, um, I, I think moderation is the, the best answer. The benefits of uh, productive uses of technology are just undeniable, as far as I'm concerned, as a parent and as an educator. But it's, it's more important than ever to be a parent, to actually make decisions and say, you know, we're, we're having a, a day off from technology, right? We're, we're, we're going to leave our devices home when we're going hiking to manage screen time, th- those things are more important than ever. So you, you do have to be involved and uh, and make good decisions. So when we look at this assessment, we had Trish Williams from the State Board of Education on a, a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about, you know, all the new style of assessments and such. What What is your ideal? You know, we do want to assure that schools are providing quality. We want to be able to check that. We want parents to be able to check that. But this this sort of old grades, you know, grade level stuff that we've been talking about, it's just not serving people the way they want to be served. So what what is your ideal world of how that would end up settling into place? One one of the exciting things that we'll talk about at this conference this week is making better use of all the real time data that we have. When you visit a good school, it's obvious that they know how all their kids are doing in every subject every day. And so the thought of stopping education and testing for a week uh, it becomes ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? And that's what's happening this time of year around America, that we take a week off to answer the question, how is Johnny doing? Well, good schools know the answer to that question. We just have to become more reliable at collecting that real-time data and making sure that it's comparable school to school. And I think you'll see in the next few years um, – that, that we have good and comparable ways to combine real-time data so that it will dramatically reduce the need for these big end-of-year tests. Tom, I'm, I'm sitting here worrying. I'm back on the parent question, if you don't mind. I'm sitting here worrying about what you just said, about how it feels to you like parenting is more complex now than it was, or the challenge as a parent of making sure your kid's getting a good education is more complex. And I'm worried about the potential for exacerbating inequalities there. Yeah, you know, it's real. Yeah, okay. So here, here's, yeah. The, here's the thing. Parents need help. They need advice because the there's an exponential uh, increase in the number of learning options that exist. 
right? There's more and more cities are becoming uh, cities of, of choice. Uh, there, there's an explosion of stuff available online. I think most parents are going to need a, an, an advocate to help them make good choices. Hmm. That's particularly true um, for for parents that have been uh, underserved historically or that, that haven't had a good educational experience themselves. So technology is an amplifier and people that know how to use it get a lot out of it. So I am worried that there's going to be a new divide. And the new divide is not the connected divide because we're all going to be connected. The right. new divide is people that have access to um, really good informed advocates that help them make good decisions. Well, Tom, if you were to leave uh, San Diego with one thing we could be working on, uh, one thing we could be doing differently, uh, what, what should we invest in? What should we do? Here's, a, here's an interesting twist to this answer. It, I, I'm going to tell you not to focus on technology, but actually to focus on a new set of outcomes. The other tipping point that we've reached in America is that we now appreciate that every student needs to develop a strong work ethic, that students need to have character. They need to be able to manage themselves and to interact with others. The new technology workplace, ironically, makes clear the, the need for these old values and ethics and paying attention to those things, finding common language to talk about success skills, developing new ways to measure that and give young people feedback on those things. Uh, I think that's going to be at least as important as uh, helping students develop reading, writing, and math skills. Tom Vanderark used to be the head of the Gates Foundation, now running the company Getting Smart. Uh, thanks for uh, coming in, and thanks for coming to San Diego and spreading some of this knowledge. Great to be back. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Well, I really enjoyed that discussion. Uh, I, I find myself obsessing with those points about just how the actual, you know, ever since that that discussion we had about the high tech high and about the what most likely to succeed movie, and just about the idea of like grade levels and different subjects and such, I've been just obsessing about how not necessarily required that is, you know, like that we have right. different grade levels and what he's pointing it's a, out. It's a vestige of, of, of prior things, but the technology that's coming on is going to enable more and more classrooms, more and more schools to bust out of the, of the structures that have been handed down to them. Yeah. That if we could work on a situation where every kid had their personalized learning plan goals set to them that wasn't that hard to manage because of software that seems actually good and you know what's interesting is like it seems like everybody seems to get it too even you know Joe Austin was in here and hit with his dean of students and they they were carrying a list of students they just had a basic mm -hmm. spreadsheet of students and what they were involved in I mean they're getting it in the idea of you know, each kid's different and we, you know, we can't address a problem in fourth grade. We have to address a problem in, you know, Harry, Jimmy and Sally, like all these different, you know, people that have their own needs and where, wherever they're at. And that's kind of exciting to me. But uh, it, if these, if he's right, if he's even a little bit right, that will become so attractive and it'll scale so much that it, it, it could be amazing to see. It really could be. I want, you know, you um, meet people from, back 50, 60 years, and it was common for kids to go from high school into college at age 16 or 15, or sort of whenever they were done with high school, they would move yeah. on, and that disappeared for a while. And one thing we might see is something, is that coming back? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we at Voice of San Diego, the provider of this podcast studio and um, and this little cough button that you, you don't see, but you, you definitely notice, uh, all these things cost money and uh, all of our reporting. So if you're interested in supporting us, we have about 2,000 members, dozens of foundations and corporate sponsors and major donors as well. And if you could uh, consider becoming a part of that, we'd really appreciate it. We're in the last few weeks of our membership campaign in the in the, in the spring, April, and we have pretty ambitious goals. So please, con- please consider donating at voiceofsandiego.org slash donate. And Laura... I'm loving doing this with you. This has been a blast. I'm a proud member, by the way, of Voice of San Diego, a continuing member. So, uh, yeah, it's join thrilling, in, everybody. Right? It oh. feels great. <laughs> I'm in the club. All right. Well, this has been the Voice of San Diego and uh, in partnership with the Education Synergy Alliance with Good Schools for All.